Welcome to P3 Radio. The monkey only dances as good as the guy grinding the organ handle. Give a lesson. We're coming for you, baby. <laughs> that was my moment of I carried a watermelon. And uh, if you're going to call me back tomorrow or whatever, I mean, you better believe I took my turn a little bit. <laughs> what? Cool story, bro. PG3 Radio. Here's your host, Josh Friday. Ladies and gentlemen, next up we have crying little blind children. Richard Mulliken. I don't know. Is this making any sense to anybody out there? It's showtime! It's showtime! It's showtime! Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to another episode of B3 Radio. I'm Richard Mulliken, joined by my co-host and best friend, Josh Briley. Say hey, Josh. Richard, I got my Black Dahlia Murder t-shirt on. I am ready to head back. Well, you certainly had that stuff on because we're interviewing one of the headbangers, Thrasher, Glenn Ruth, today on P3 Radio. He was a super cool guy, and I think, you know, if we could ever have anybody back, it would be him. Yeah, I mean, even though we say that every week, we really mean it with Thrasher. Glenn Ruth was one of our best guests we've ever had. Super nice and just wonderful to talk to. Wish we could have had more time with him. Maybe we'll have him back, but... It was awesome to have him on, but we will be back with that interview after a word from this sponsor from Wine of the Month Club. When you go shopping for wine, do you look at the labels? Do you stare at the price and wonder if the wine is worth the expensive tag? Well, stop it because Wine of the Month Club has you covered. Every month, Wine of the Month Club is going to send you two bottles of high quality wine right to your front door. And what better way to say I'm thinking of you than a subscription to the original Wine of the Month Club for a friend or a sweetheart. Each month they'll be reminded of your thoughtfulness and will receive the monthly wine letter and newsletter binder. Recipes, wine knowledge, and great wine, and the opportunity to get more of their favorites is at hand. Give with confidence and joy, knowing that you're a part of the original Wine of the Month Club. By the way, there are no dues, no fees, no hidden charges. Cancel any time with no obligation. Just pay no more than $23.96 plus shipping for two great bottles of wine. Go there now. Sign up by visiting our link, tinyurl.com slash p3wine. That's tinyurl.com slash p3wine. The Wine of the Month Club, the original wine club since 1972. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us right now on the P3 Radio Hotline, former WWF Tag Team Champion, one half of the Headbangers. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Headbanger Thrash, I'm sorry, Headbanger Thrasher, Glenn Ruth. Glenn, thanks for being here with us, man. Man, You had one chance to make a first impression, (laughs) and you said Glenn Roth. Ruth, I said Ruth. One in the... No, not the first time you didn't. Rewind oh, I them. Said, I said thrash. Rewind that. I said thrash. No, 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 no. Even before that. Even before that. You'll hear it. You'll hear it. And you go, oh, my God. What a schmuck I am. Let me do it properly then. Joining us right now on the P3 Hotline, we have former WWF Tag Team Champion and one half of the Headbangers. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Headbanger Thrasher, Glenn Ruth. Glenn, thanks for being here with us on P3 Radio. Hey, there you go. So we can just cut out the fuck up that you had in the beginning. Oh, can can I say fuck? Yes, please, please. We encourage it. Okay, good. What's up, up? guys? How are you guys? Doing good, man. Doing good. How about you? I'm doing wonderful. I'm down here in the sunny state of Florida just enjoying everything. Nice. Staying away from that snow of the Northeast right now. They're getting yeah, hit pretty uh, hard. That's exactly why I moved away from there, man. I was <laughs> born, born and raised in South Jersey, both me and Chaz were. 
Uh, so, yeah, we both are down here now, and uh, just I, I wish I would have done it sooner. <laughs> <laughs> Growing up, did you watch any other wrestling besides WWF? Uh, when, when I first, uh, I guess, when I was younger, I, I used to watch WWF when it used to come from the Philadelphia Spectrum, and they used to wrestle there once a month. And it used to be broadcasted on Prism TV. This is, you know, going way back when even, you know, when cable had the box and the, the dial on the side and the, the buttons and everything else. <laughs> right. So way back when. So, yeah, I, I, I never was really a huge, I guess, fan of professional wrestling, but it always it was always something interesting and stuff like that. I mean, back there, the guys were huge. You had Andre the Giant. You had, you know, Big John Studd, Hogan. You had all these. They were just ginormous. And when I was in high school, I was six foot four, 150 pounds. <laughs> Dripping wet, that's exactly what I weighed. And it was, you know, it was such a, a far cry from something that I could see myself doing to once I graduated high school, I played football and I wrestled in high school and stuff like that. So then that's when the interest started coming up is I didn't have that, that physicality in my life. So I had to find a way to channel it. I, I guess you want to say. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I went into uh, the Monster Factory, Larry Sharp, uh, Pretty Boy Larry Sharp School. It was in Paulsboro, New Jersey. And I just fell in love with it. It was, you know, it, it's weird. Everybody says, oh, my God, bump it hurts. Oh, my God, I love it. I love it. I, yeah, it's just it's that physicality and it's that, it's that camaraderie. It's that brotherhood that you get with the other guys and, and everything else. So, I, I guess I fell in love with it after I actually started. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's something that we both had in common. Uh, Josh and I, you know, Josh, he didn't go the professional wrestling route, and I did. And both of us had been in a ring, and especially when we went to see Danny and OVW. And the whole time, you know, we're sitting there falling, and we're like, man, this kind of hurts. But when you start doing it, like, and you're going on the road every weekend, it was something about being around those guys and having that adrenaline rush and hearing that crowd. Yeah. That, it, it, nothing hurts. Nothing hurts. It, it's so funny. It, it's almost like it's addicting, like getting a tattoo. The tattoos, when they first do them, they hurt. Right. But after a while, it starts feeling good, and you start, and that adrenaline starts going and everything else, and you're like, oh, man, that looks really good. Oh, my God. Then you have, like, ten of them, and, and, <laughs> and you know, you're all tattooed up. So I, 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 I consider it, like, the same thing. As it, it's, a, it's a pain. But it's right. one of those pains that you get you get addicted to, yes. Well, you mentioned the legendary Monster Factory and that you trained there. And I'd heard that you had started helping train after you I had... I did. Uh, how long was you working or how long after that you I, had been trained that you started helping I, train others? I, start, I started in 1991. It was June of 1991. And, um, you know, I went in there. It was so funny. You know, I was never a big fan or anything else. So... I roll into this. The, he, Larry Sharp would send out free tryout postcards to all the graduating seniors that were athletes, <laughs> and he would cool. just send them. It was it was awesome. It was yeah. great marketing. So I always had that like on my refrigerator, my bedside table, and stuff like that. And I went to a uh, computer school over in Philadelphia, and I learned uh, computer operations. So I was doing that for a while, and I absolutely hated it because it was garbage. And then I was like, you know what? I was doing a um, uh, um, 
a wrestling match. It was an AAU tournament, and it was at Paulsboro High School. And right across the street from it was the Monster Factory. So we had a break in, in, in the action and stuff like that. So I went over there, and I was looking through the windows, and I was like, oh, man, that's so cool, that's so cool. So then, you know, I, I started working, doing the operations thing, and that was always in the back of my mind. So I said, you know what, one day I'm just going to go up there. So I went up there, and I walked in, and there's all these lights and cameras and everything else all over the place. And I'm going, oh, my God, this is awesome. <laughs> this is freaking awesome. Here, Australia TV was de- doing a special on Larry Sharp and the Monster Factory. So what he had you do is you went into the ring and you did a tryout. So he showed you how to run the ropes. There's a right and a wrong way of running ropes, mm-hmm. which we all know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, he didn't tell you which one was right, which way was wrong. <laughs> he just said run the ropes. And then he showed you how to do the three basic falls. Mm-hmm. So because in wrestling, the hardest thing to do is to fall straight back on your back and not put your arms down. I mean, that's a natural reaction when you're falling. Put your arms down or roll over. Right. So just trying to get that out of your head is a feat by itself. So I'm sitting there, and there was like seven or eight guys with us that, that went through the tryout. And I'm sitting there going, nervous as hell. I'm about 170 pounds now, 180. And I'm going, oh, my God. I, I, I you know, what the hell's going to go on? So this first guy goes in the office. He comes back out. He goes, he, he told me no. I went, oh, my God, he told you no. He told you no. Oh, my God. I, I, I don't, I'm just going to leave. I'm just going <laughs> to leave right now. So then the second guy comes out, and he goes, he told me no, too. And I had $3,000 cash in my hand. Jeez. That made me stay because that made Larry so credible that he wasn't just taking anybody's money. Right. right. He was taking the people that he saw something in. So I went in there, and I said, listen, Mr. Sharp, before you say anything, let me just go and gain some weight and get over 200 pounds, and then let me come back. And let me let me try then. And uh, he goes, listen, kid, it's a lot easier to teach you all these flips and jumps and everything else at 180 pounds than it is at 220. <laughs> that made so much sense to me. I went home. I got $1,500. I came back the next day, gave it to him, gave him $100 a week for 15 weeks. And then within six months, I was wrestling in Japan against Giant Baba. I was tag wow. team with Stan Hansen. Danny Spivey, I wrestled against Kamala, um, uh, Abdullah the Butcher. Yikes. Six wow. months in the business, and I was just, <laughs> I was in awe. I was green <laughs> than green could be, but Larry found a way, because he was friends with uh, Dory Funk, and found a way to get me over there. Uh, it, was when, it was actually when the Nasty Boys signed with uh, Vince the first time. Right. So I went over at that time. So that was back in 91. And I guess I just I, I was around the Indies and stayed you know loyal, faithful to to the Monster Factory and Larry and stuff like that. I had offers to go to USWA and Smoky Mountain, mm-hmm. you know, with Cornette and then uh, Jerry Lawler because Larry would bring them in once a month and and do shows and you would get to know these guys. Right. So uh, I guess it was back in I want to say ninety two, ninety three ish is when I started actually training guys coming in. And, uh, you know, one of the guys was Chaz. I trained Chaz. I helped, uh, I helped train D'Lo Brown oh, cool. um, and, and Paul White, oh, uh, yeah, which wow. everybody knows is the big that show. That is awesome. Yeah. But 
Big Show will never, ever say he trained at the Monster Factory. <laughs> but sure as shit as I'm sitting here, he did. Uh, he absolutely 100% did. There's pictures of him down there at the, at the factory and stuff like that. He he actually did the majority of his training. I think he was there maybe a month. I mean, you got a seven foot two guy. And let me tell you, when, when Paul first came down to this school, he was unbelievably gifted with athletic ability. It was unreal. Right. He could stand on the apron and jump straight up and land inside the ring. Wow. He oh had God. that but he had an incredible he was Unbelievable. He was 7'2", and I think he was maybe 350, 375 when wow. he first started training because he came from the Boston Celtics farm team <laughs> is, is what we were told. So I don't know how much is true, but right. I, I mean, that's what we were told. He came from the Boston Celtics farm team, and he was playing basketball, but he didn't like it. So he had a sponsor, and I say that with my fingers up in the air, somebody that sponsored to bring him right. wherever he wanted to go and put up the money for the school and stuff like that and and everything else. But, yeah, he got he got scooped up really quick and went to um, WCW where he trained at the power plant. Right. Uh, and, you know, so most of his training was at the power plant and stuff like that. But it was, it was a big deal to um, to actually have Larry have the confidence in me because at that time, Larry was, you know, trying not to get in the ring as much. He was, you know, kind of winding down his uh, his days in the ring, and his bump card was full. And <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it was it was an honor. It was it was nice to be his first, I guess, student trainer that he ever had. You know, before that, he never he never let anybody else train except himself. He would see he had this big giant like movie chair, and he would sit in it, and he would just sit there and direct. Sitting there smoking a cigar and everything else. So yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely um, you know a, a great experience from you know day one. I mean, you know, he just learned the, the from the inside out. So we learned how to to put up the ring. You know, my first week. You know, every day after practice, take down the ring down, put it back up, right? Take it down, put it up tomorrow morning. You know, every single time. And you know, he would open the school from Thursday to Sunday, and. At 6 o'clock on Thursday, I'll tell you what, there was a shit ton of people there. And on Saturday or Sunday, you had to kick us out, you know, when it was time to go and stuff like that because we spent all day there. We had a training school that we could go and we could spend as much time as we wanted to with, with, with nothing. And we had all we had everything. And, you know, I look around to some of these – kids today and stuff like that and you know we have a couple great schools down here we have uh, our few fighting evolution wrestling mm -hmm. that me and chaz are actually currently involved with right now they have a tremendous an awesome training facility and you know they kids don't take full advantage of it and it, right. it's heartbreaking to sit back here and go oh my god if i had what they had <laughs> it, it, it would be crazy yeah. It would just, yeah. We talked to one of your friends, actually, somebody that knows you from back in the day, Flash Flanagan, and he was talking <laughs> about when we interviewed him. He was talking about how when he started training, he found this building with the ring, and he said we went by it one time, and I was thinking, all right, I don't see anybody here, so if nobody shows up in the next couple of days, I'm just going to break in and steal this ring. <laughs> and you know what? For Flash to say that, I believe it 100. <laughs> percent Flash is a great guy. It was great seeing him, uh, you know, on uh, TV the other oh, yeah. night as a medic. 
Oh, and yeah. uh, I love Flash. Awesome. Flash is a, Flash is a good guy. Yeah. Now, just to go back to you saying putting up the rings and stuff like that. Just to clarify, for some of you listeners out there that it's never put up a ring, imagine that some of your friends came to you and said, hey, today we're going to put up a 20 by 20 deck, and then we're going to tear it all down at the end of yeah. the show. That is pretty much the – it takes a long time to build that ring, and it's not fun, and it's part of paying your dues, and a lot of the guys now don't Absolutely. do it. But it's an awesome feeling when you get it done, and you're like, yes, but it's a, such a tragic feeling to have to tear it back down. Yep. And it was so it was so weird. I never understood the reasoning behind that. And I finally one day it was about six months later. You know, Larry would constantly do that. It was every Saturday or Sunday we would either take the ring down and put it back up. We did it constantly once a week for as long as I can remember. And I always said to him, I said, "What is the purpose of these guys doing this all the time? It just looks like busy work. For one, it straightens the ring back up. It re, re uh, squares it up." He said, "For another thing, he goes." When you're a construction worker, don't you know what kind of tools are in your tool belt? Right, exactly. I said, yeah. He goes, don't you want to know what you're working in? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was enough. That was enough for me. I never questioned him again ever about anything that he ever said to me. But it, it, was, it was the fact that you know everybody back then thought it was a trampoline and it was all padded and everything else. <laughs> Absolutely, there's pads in there. Trampoline, not so much. Not so much. But no. you know the, the the padding and stuff like that. When you put a canvas on top of that and tie it down to the side rails of a ring, they don't understand. But that cushion just gets you know compressed and compressed. So that cushion may start off being you know two inches thick, but by the time they put that that canvas down and tighten it down, it might be a half inch, right. inch, yeah, tops. So yeah. So sometimes falling on a nice pair, nice patch of grass is. Uh, <laughs> equivalent to falling in a, in a wrestling ring. You wrestled a laundry list of stars your first couple of years on WWF TV. Who got you booked on those shows? It, Larry Sharp. Um, it was funny because everybody always told me, hey, don't go up there, don't get beat up, you'll never get a job up there. You'll ne don't go up there and do jobs. Don't do that. They're, they're, you'll, you're killing yourself in the business. But Larry, he looked at me and he goes, listen, he goes, I understand. He goes, but it's a lot harder or it's a lot easier beating somebody up and making it look real. Right, he goes, right. but it's a lot harder getting your ass kicked and make it look believable. He goes, trust me. He goes, go up there. Let them see you. Let them see, you know, everything that you can do. And be quiet. Sit there. Shut up and listen. And just listen to everybody talking in the locker room. And I did that for, I guess, three years. You know, and it was awesome because, you know, I saw a lot of the East Coast on, you know, Vince's dollar. Um, before This is before he went, I guess, worldwide. And, uh, you know, he was still just running up and down the East Coast. Um, and he went, he went a little bit out west, but not too far um, because it was still, you know, a territory back then. Right. But, um, yeah, I, I can't ever complain because, you know, I, I wrestled Flair twice. I've wrestled, you know – tons of people and you know to have rick flair come up to you after you do a job for him and say come here kid whatever they're paying you is not enough and take me wow. over to it to get his pay and hands me an extra hundred dollars wow. and say go buy a case of beer on me tonight because what you did for <laughs> me was unbelievable you know just having that experience with rick flair and he remembers it to this day oh, wow. when i see him you know through the conventions and stuff like that he goes you were that kid 
<laughs> you were that kid that one time with them crazy tights, with those crazy color tights. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, it was. Well, you know, you and Chaz, who would later on become Mosh as the headbangers, you tagged together early on as the Spiders. In 1994, yes. you guys worked for Eastern Championship Wrestling, which is an organization that would later become Extreme Championship Wrestling. What do you remember about working for that ECW crowd at the time? Was it about the same as what we saw on TV every week? Uh, it was It was just a, a, a one-shot deal. Mm-hmm. I think Axel, Axel and Ian, the Rotten Brothers, uh, actually got us a, 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 I guess, a tryout match. There is, you know, we were just starting off. We were looking for work and stuff like that. So we went up to the, I guess it was the ECW arena back then. And we did a match and stuff like that. And, you know, I kind of saw the direction they were going. Mm -hmm. And at that time, it didn't feel like it was going to be a good fit for us. So we chose to go down to USWA and Smoky Mountain and stuff like that. I just, you you know, anybody can pick up a chair and hit somebody in the head with it. Right. (laughs) But to have the psychology behind the why, there's always got to be a why a table's involved, why a, a kendo stick's involved, why a chair's, you have to have that why. Then if not, it's just, it's a free-for-all. Right. So, I mean, I was, I was one of the big guys that was very much into the psychology of a match and, you know, building that proper house, that foundation, and, you know, getting the people invested, you know, and... and and I could kick myself because look what ECW turned out to be. Right. It had, it, it it actually developed into a whole different fan base. I mean, there back then when I when I first started, I didn't think there was people that wanted to see that. And right. oh my God, they still want to see that today. <laughs> so I mean, if it's done properly and everything else, I'm all for it. Well, you, you know, know, give me a table. Give me a table, give me a chair, I'll swing them both the same way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, speaking of Memphis, everybody always brings up that concession stand battle royal with Jerry Lawler, Dundee, and Wayne Ferris, and who else was it? Dennis Conner? Larry Latham. Larry Latham. They always bring up that, and that's what I always say. I loved ECW, but for me, everything in ECW was trying to copy that. Now, that concession stand battle royal that they had had chairs, everything but the popcorn machine because they were told not to touch that. But they had <laughs> that was probably Lawler's. It was it was it was uh, Jarrett's. It was Jarrett's. He told him not to touch it because that was a money. There maker. you go. So there you go. Everybody was trying to get that storyline, but that storyline was built over the course of weeks and weeks of television. So ECW Correct. was trying to copy that. But like I said, I loved ECW. But to me, it was trying to copy that Southern, like you know, just bar fight that they would have. But it would lead up from weeks of TV. You know, and, and I was a big one that I guess that was against that whole, I guess, type of wrestling and stuff like that. But, I mean, after you watching it and you see the guys like Taz and you see Van Dam and you see the Dudley boys and, you know, everybody else, Tommy Dreamer and all the guys that, that have done it, and the way they told stories and the why behind the stuff that they did, right. it made you enjoy that type of wrestling. And, and everything else, and I'm, you know, I can sit here now today and say I'm a huge mark for ECW, and, and all the stuff that they did and everything else, because you know I had a chance to sit there. I, I was, I wasn't educated enough back then when it first started to actually give it a chance. I was like, ah, oh, nah, yeah, only the guys that don't know how to wrestle swing a kendo stick and you know do all that stuff. Ah, oh, no, no, no. And then like, you know, I guess it might have been. 
20 years ago when they did that whole invasion with uh, and everything else, I started watching their stuff and everything else. And then you could see the, the build-up, you know, it wasn't like Bubba and Devon just like slid into the ring and grabbed the table and then you were through it. They right. built up into it, it and it was the excitement that built. And, yeah, I was a huge, you know, ECW fan and everything else. I loved what we did, Invasion and stuff like that. I absolutely loved that. Because it elevated everybody. It elevated them. It elevated us. It showed competition. Because why do you like Coke? Because I don't like Pepsi. <laughs> right. Why did you like WWF? Because you didn't like WCW or ECW or anything else like that. Right. Why do you like them now? It's the only fucking thing to watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, when the Spiders debuted on Memphis TV, you guys had Burt Prentice as your manager. Yes. Do you have any good Burt stories you can share? Uh, Bert was great. Bert, I, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, th that guy, he will just keep going. We saw him probably about two years ago at a, at a convention and stuff like that. I love Bert to death. He was just, he could, he could squeeze a nickel and get a dollar out of it. I mean, he was just <laughs> amazing when, cause we, after we left, um, uh, USWA, we went with him and he started a, 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 a federation called Ozark Mountain Wrestling. So, which was based out of Arkansas and stuff like that. We right. ran all up and down in Jonesboro and, and, and every everybody over there. So, I mean, he put on these shows. I, I This is no lie. There might have been five fans in the crowd. <laughs> we had the headliner was Cactus Jack against uh, the Colorado kid. It was the, yeah. the, the Ozark Mountain champion at the time. Do you not know? He went, Cactus Jack wrestled 45 minutes wow oh my god why because he didn't care if there was five people out there or fifty-five thousand people out there or five million people he was going out to perform in front of people there was another lesson that i learned very early in in wrestling it doesn't matter how many people are there they still paid to be entertained so you go out there and you bust their ass whether there's 10 20 a thousand a million people watching you go out and you perform the same way Right. And we, don't they tell you to do that in in all the other sports that are out there? Practice, right. practice the way you're going to play. Right. And now so you brought you up go. you brought up Burt Prentice, and I've got to throw this at you because uh, Burt's running. He's been running shows in Jackson, Tennessee, where we're from right now. And yeah, last, yeah. last year he was running a show. He was helping run a show in Henderson, Tennessee. It was one that King was on <clears> and everything. They do it every year. And at intermission, he was selling Easter eggs that had little notes in them, like, you won a prize, better luck next time. And he was selling them for 25 cents a piece. And King got mad at him because he had held intermission over to sell these eggs for another 20 minutes longer than intermission should have went. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny because Bert was the first one that taught us about merchandising. When we were the spiders down there, he goes, you guys are great. He goes, you got a different look and everything else. You guys have eight by tens. What else? <laughs> right. We're like, nothing. So he goes, this is what I want you to do. Go out and buy carpet foam, draw a spider on it, buy paint stirrer sticks, and glue them to the back of the spider so people can hold it up and wave it around and stuff like that. So we started doing that, and <laughs> it was a, a – it was awesome, and <laughs> yeah. we started selling silly string and, and everything else. It was it was funny because then it caught on. And then there was these foam crowns that just popped up all over the place and <laughs> and stuff like that. So yes, he taught us 
you know, how to market yourself and make as much money off of the the littlest possible yeah. that you can dish out. So that the, the Easter egg thing doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> Not at all. Well, going a little further, did you have very much faith, no pun intended, in the Flying Nuns gimmick with Brother Love as your manager? It was funny because when uh, Smoky Mountain actually closed down, Jim Cornette said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get guys' tryouts with Vince and everything else. We were we were the headbangers before we even got to WWF. Jerry or um, um, Jim Cornette actually gave us the headbanger gimmick. Um, that's a whole story in itself. <laughs> you know, to, to picture, you know, uh, Jim Cornette at a Glenn Danzing concert is, is just, that's a sight that I, I think I would pay to see. Yeah. I, I don't know. So, yeah, so he gave us the headbanger gimmick. So when, when, when Smokey Mountain actually closed, he got us a tryout at WWF with Vince and, and everybody watching and stuff like that. And we got signed to part-time contracts. And the part-time contracts were just, it was just straight-up TV. That's all it was. It was TV. They were TV contracts. Because Vince wanted to get away from the jobber and have more challenging matches on mm-hmm. Saturday morning and stuff like that. Because then it elevates the talent even more. Right. It's smart. It's smart. That's why you don't see jobber matches now. If you do, there's there, there's some, you know, it's not against Braun Strowman. That's for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um yeah, it was um, – once we got up there and we did that and everything else, and Vince came up, came up to us. He goes, I got a great idea. He goes, did you ever see Sally Field in The Flying Nun? I think that was the TV show, and I went, no. He's like, yeah, she has this really big hat, and she flies and everything else. He goes, I'm going to make you guys the sisters of love. He goes, we're going to tie it into the headbangers. He goes – so one night you'll come out and wrestle as the Sisters of Love. He goes, and then right after that you'll come out and wrestle as the Headbangers. And then after a while we'll start putting it together. He had this big elaborate, you know, plan all planned out and everything else. Oh my God, these guys are so crazy. They don't care what they're wearing. Look, they're wearing you know flying headpieces, and, and now they're wearing you know kilts and skirts and, and spitting on each other and everything else. <laughs> and, and and then the Catholic Church has got a hold of the Sisters of Love and just. <laughs> Yeah. Just uh, did away with that one really quick. Yeah, I could imagine. Well, you know, you're so, all. Oh, sorry, go ahead. So to answer your question, any gimmick that Vince comes to you and says, "Hey, I got this great idea," you're gonna be like, "I'm all for it." Yeah, whatever you want, sir. Yes, yeah, you almost have to be. You would almost yep. have to be if he comes to you. Um, yep. You are always told in wrestling the most important matches on the card are the first match and the last match. You yeah, guys, right. You guys were part of a four-man tag team to open up WrestleMania 13. What was it like to be in that spot to open up the card at WrestleMania 13, and what was it like to win at WrestleMania? What? I mean, I get asked that question all the time. What was it like to be – just being in, involved in WrestleMania. Now, mind you, we signed our part-time contracts in November – of the year right before WrestleMania 13. So I guess it was, uh, God, I want to say 1996 is when we signed our part-time contracts. I think WrestleMania 13 was in 97 or was it in 96? Uh, Whatever. 97, yeah, 97. So we were still under our part-time contracts. And we just thought that we were going into it. We had no idea. We had no idea about you know, 
we knew how big WrestleMania was. That's when they did the slammies and everything else. Mm-hmm. And me and Chaz were just like, you know what? We're going to go out and we're going to do everything and anything we can to have the time of our lives. And that's what the the the, the talent people at the, at the office, they said, we want you guys to go out and be yourselves. Just go out and be crazy nuts and everything else. Right. So what what everybody didn't see during the 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 sma- or the slammy show is every time that we went to commercial they would go dark in the in the dining room. Me and Chaz would stand up and start tossing rolls around the, the around the, <laughs> the, the 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 restaurant and stuff like that and and everything. We start yelling at people and then you know it just continued when we came back on camera. You know who else is going to yell at Walter Payton? Emmett Emmett Smith Emmett Smith <laughs> and then have him yell back at you. You know, with was something else, and it was just we just went out and had a lot of fun. We wanted it to because you never know if you're ever going to have another WrestleMania moment. Right. And then that day when we found out that we were actually winning the match, it was it was I was beside myself because you look all, all along, especially when I when I got really involved in the wrestling and really started enjoying it and stuff like that. You see the history of it, and and then you look at it, and, and then now you're in it, and now you're 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 winning it. I mean, right. you're winning WrestleMania, and the people that you're beating are legends that you've looked up to. I mean, it, it was just it was crazy. Right. It was absolutely. It's hard to explain what it's like. That's like when people say, "What was it like when you won the tag team belts?" I can't, I can't, there's not enough, I, I, I see, I can't tell you. Right. It, it's just, it's like, you know, when you go see, you know, Tom Brady, what was it like to win the Super Bowl? Well, not this year, but, you know, last year. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was it like? You know, how did it feel? He comes up going, I can't, it's impossible to put it into words, you know, the feeling and stuff like that, what it's like. You know, you guys were like one of my favorite tag teams, and I remember when y'all won the tag oh, team Oh, you're just saying that because I'm no, on the phone. No, no, no. <laughs> Come no. on. Go back to 1996, 1997. I have a headbanger shirt on. I was a big kid, so it was like a 2X. But they had a 2X uh, headbanger shirt on, and when you guys won, uh, I was ecstatic because – in my mind, the wrestlers that I always pulled for never won anything. Like I was always <laughs> so when you guys won the tag the tag team titles, I didn't even watch that pay per view. And I had my friend call me. And he's like, "Hey, the Headbangers just won the titles." I was like, "Shut up, no!" Because you, you guys <laughs> were definitely the underdogs. You were in there against LOD, uh, Owen yep. and Davey, and uh, and the Godwins who they were pushing pretty good at the time. And not that yep. they weren't pushing you guys, but you guys were definitely the underdogs of those four. T- Four teams, but you were my favorites. So I was ecstatic that you won the titles. Yeah, we were, we were too, and it was funny too because you know it, it was just it was a time. It, it's something that I'll never forget, but it's the hardest thing to put into words and feelings and stuff like that. It, it, just imagine your proudest moment, and then times it by ten. That's right. awesome. You know, so it, yeah, it was incredible. It was. Absolutely incredible. Do I wish we would have had them longer? Absolutely. Who doesn't wish they were <laughs> tag team champs longer? But just to have the honor of having the biggest, most prestigious title in tag team wrestling at that time was the WWF tag belts. And to, be, and to say, hey, we're going to give these to you guys. Yeah, right. It was just, you know, and, and, and then going on to win the NWA belts from Ricky and Robert – who are, you know, Hall of Famers. Oh, yeah. And, and guys that, that we're extremely close to and everything else. And, and to have that, you know, 
be part of, I guess, you know, I guess I'm going to be full of myself, our legacy and everything else is just, you know, it's unbelievable. I mean, I still sit here today and like when I meet fans and and talk to people and everything else, I'm no different than either one of you two. I put on my pants the same way. I just had a different job. I'm, I'm just, I'm just a guy, I guess, from that grew up with a single mother uh, that had to work two jobs and everything else. And, you know, I don't see myself as a celebrity or a superstar or anything else like that. Well, this will be our last question. You got to be around. I will not make out with you, man. No, I'm here doing an interview. I set it up so perfectly. I said I was a fan. I have a 2X headbanger shirt. Jesus, pull the lips off my ass. (laughs) You got to be around a true black belt in the art of ribbing, Owen Hart. Is there a rib that you saw Owen pull or heard about him pulling that really sticks out among the rest? Well, well I, got, I got two really good Owen stories. I'll make them really fast. When we first started, you know, I, I knew Brett. I knew Owen from going up there and doing jobs and stuff like that. They remembered me from doing that. So that helped me not get all the ribs and stuff like that put on you. But if you ever left your bag close to somebody else's bag or, you know, something else like that, so, lo and behold, one, one night, me and Chaz are going in the locker room, going to get our bags. They're padlocked together <laughs> with a chair. There's a chair right through in the middle of our two bags. So, we just we, we knew it was Owen because he's sitting there and he's sitting in the corner. And he's just going, <laughs> you know, getting dressed. He's just laughing to himself and everything else. So, we didn't, we didn't sell it. We didn't, you know, make a fuss about it or anything else. We just picked everything up. He carried one bag, I carried the other, and the chair just hung between us, and we just left. <laughs> we traveled together, we stayed together, we did everything. So the next day, we come to TV and everything else. We find a padlock, we uncut it off and everything else, and Owen goes, what? You're not going to say anything? We were like, no, because if we feed you, you're going to keep doing it to us. He goes, well, you guys are smart. <laughs> so then there was one night we were down in, in Texas, and all the hotels were sold out, and El- Owen needed a ride. So we said to Owen, we were like, hey, listen, we're going to the TV hotel. Jump in with us, and you can see if you can get a room there. So we did. So we get there. There's no rooms available. Owen goes, yo, do you guys mind if I I stay with you guys? Absolutely. You're Owen Hart. We're nobody. You're (laughs) Owen Hart. This is when he was European champion, tag team champion, used to go to the ring with two slammies and everything else. So he had everything. And he he was the best guy ever. Um, so we get to the hotel and, and we're like, yeah, sure, absolutely. And so I go into the room, I'm going, oh, and you can have that bed. I'll just sleep on the floor and everything else. He's like, hell no. He goes, nope. He goes, just give me the blankets on top of the bed. I'll make a pallet in the corner and I'll sleep on the floor. We're like, oh, we can't do that. He goes, no, I insist. <laughs> so he goes, he goes, All right, I'm going to go in take a shower and everything else. But here he left, leaves his bags open. And there's the Slammy, there's the European title, there's the tag team belt and everything else. So he's in the shower and he's taking a shower and we can hear him in there. So, of course, what do we do? We grab the belt out of his bag and start jumping around the bed. Hey, look, we're champions. <laughs> you know, just being total kids that we are. And every, then we hear the shower shut off and we hurry up and put everything back and come out. And he comes out in the towel. We're like laying in bed and everything else. He looks at us. He looks at the belt. He looks back to the, back back at us, and he goes, "Do you kids have fun jumping around the bed with the belts?" And we're like, "What are you talking about? We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't go on your back." He goes, "Why do you think I left it open?" 
I was like, <laughs> damn, you got it. He just knew. But that's the kind of guy Owen was. When we, when back then, when we wrestled in Philly, that was our home, our, our home area. He would actually, and I would bring my kids. I have two older kids that were actually around when we would wrestle. We would bring them to the arena and stuff like that. He would actually go in the cafeteria, and after we were done eating and stuff like that, he would sit there, color with them, and play with them and stuff like that. That's the kind of guy Owen was. He he made you part of the family. He I couldn't possibly find one bad thing that Owen ever did. That's awesome. Or ever said or anything else like at least to us. He was very he was very open. He always asked us if we needed anything, gave us advice. You know, him, Brett, Davey, they were all like that with us. They you know, they were just they were just awesome. And it was you know, still to this day I can, you know, remember you know, losing him and, and going to his funeral and stuff like that. And right. just it's probably the biggest loss that, that I've ever had to face in wrestling. Right. Well, we had Brian Christopher on last month, and he was talking about the greatest rib he ever had was Owen pulling the parking brake on this certain type of car that he rented. And he's like, well, you can go faster, man. You can go faster. And then all of a sudden just grabs the parking brake in the middle and pulls it. And I, you know, I believe it. Yeah. And he said that one day he got on luchador mask from uh, one of the Mexican luchadors that were there and went and went up behind Dan Severin, double legged him and just went two points and ran off. And then threw all the mask and stuff into this guy's gear, and Severin was pissed at the uh, the luchador because he thought he had shot on him. In the yeah, back. yeah. So, but yeah, man. Yeah. I tell you, we could talk all day to you. Uh, all we, day. We have all kinds of questions, but we know you got to get out of here. But man, I want to say from the bottom of my bottom of my heart, thank you so much for being with us today, man. I no no BS, no nothing like that. I'm not marking out too much, but. Man, you, you were one of my favorite tag teams of all times. You were part of that with the Headbangers. We watched you through Memphis, through Smoky Mountain, through tapes that we had gotten. It's truly an honor to have you, man, and thank you for being thank so you. cool and being with us. Uh, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me. Score Big is the leading online marketplace for tickets to sports, concerts, theater, and family events. ScoreBig allows you to purchase last-minute tickets to sold-out events. Also, the latest on sales of popular artists, teams, and productions. They'll get you in. They safeguard your transaction with a 100% money-back guarantee under a secure checkout with interactive seat maps to guide your purchase. And whether it's an Atlanta Braves game, Metallica concert, or a WWE event, they've got you covered. Book your seats now at tinyurl.com slash p3events. That's tinyurl.com slash p3events. Florida Ticket Station. Florida. Your one-stop shop for discounted tickets on all of Orlando's best theme parks. Orlando. All of Orlando's local attractions. Orlando. All of Orlando's events. All of Orlando's local attractions and so much more. They offer affordable tickets to Disney World, Mickey Mouse, Universal Studios, Back to the Future, SeaWorld, Legoland, Everything is Awesome, Bush Gardens, I don't know what that is, and so much more. 
But but seriously, Josh, they are licensed and insured with the state of Florida. Florida. So you can rest assured that your reservations are valid. Valid. Summer's coming and vacation time's right around the corner. Round the corner. So go to tinyurl.com slash p3florida and book your Orlando vacation today. Today. tinyurl.com slash p 3 Florida. P3 Florida. That's going to do it for this episode of P3 Radio. We hope to have you back next week for our interview with Dangerous Danny Davis. Not to be confused with Nightmare Danny Davis from OVW and the Memphis Territory. We're talking to Dangerous Danny Davis. He was the heel referee, one of the first people to do that. Part of the Heart Foundation, really big around WrestleMania 3 and 4, and a great guy. He was super awesome to talk to, as well as Glenn Ruth was, Headbanger Thrasher. We want to thank him once again for being a part of P3 Radio this week. If you want to follow us on Facebook, type in Pop Poncho on Facebook. Go to P3 Radio 1 on Twitter to follow us on Twitter, or send us an email at P3Radio1 at gmail.com. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you once again. And for Josh Bradley, this is Richard Mulligan saying thanks and good night.